0: When was the last time that you can remember, and again, I'm not really calling for out loud answers here, but I want you to think about, when was the last time something made you stop and look? Or stop and listen. You're doing something, something's going on, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa. I was driving out to work the other day. I think it was either Monday or Tuesday this past week. And if you're familiar with... uh, You get off the top of Thames Mountain and you go, there's a, we call it the Shortcut Road, McKinney Mountain Road, where you go to the Coalfields Expressway. And you come out to this T and you're about to get on the Coalfields Expressway. Well, as I was pulling to that stop sign, there was this rainbow over that horizon. And I was like, whoa. So I didn't just do my normal rolling stop and take up, up the expressway. I stopped and I looked. I even took a picture. I should have put it up here just so you could see it. But we're busy, right? We got stuffs to do. We got places to go and people to annoy and stuff like that. And we don't normally take the time to stop. And just look around. What The old saying is, stop and smell the roses, right? I ain't got time for roses. I don't like that smell anyway. I got things to do, people to annoy, right? Today, we're going to see the example of Jesus. Who is very busy at this point. Jesus is heading into Jerusalem for the last week of his life. And he's in the midst of a great crowd. And we're going to see him stop today. And when he stops, it's pretty incredible what happens. We're going to read today Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. This is going to finish chapter 20. Chapter 20 clicked by pretty quick, didn't it? We took big chunks of this. And next week, we're going to be looking at Jesus' triumphal entry. Next week is like Palm Sunday, kind of. Even though it's not, we're going to see what Palm Sunday is all about next week. Or a week after, good point. Yeah, not next week, because we're not meeting here next week. August 23rd, 2020, we're going to meet at the Pond at Alpine at 11 o'clock, just in case you were wondering. So, anyway, thank you for that. But today, we're going to finish chapter 20. As we read verses 29 through 34 of chapter 20. If you would please stand as we honor the God of the Word and receive the Word of God. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed Him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, "'Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David!' The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Let's pray. Father, as is so often the case, we might would hurry through this or by this in our reading And today you call us to stop. Stop and look and listen and ponder and think and meditate and draw upon the riches of this word. And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would plant it deep in our hearts that it would bear fruit for your glory and for our good and for the good of those around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So they, they being Jesus and his disciples and this crowd around them, uh, they had approached this area from the east. And I think we've looked at a couple of different maps. I don't know if this helps you or not, but you see the green line here? They had been over here to the east of the River Jordan, Judea, beyond the Jordan, or Perea, they'd called it. They'd been over there. Well, now they're making their way toward Jerusalem. They've crossed the River Jordan, and they've come to Jericho. Okay, that's right where the red line starts there. And if you'll remember, last week we looked at this map that showed the elevation change. Okay, so because we we looked at why they were going up to Jerusalem. Uh, You can see Jericho's down in that basin... Right right past the river, and then it goes up to Jerusalem. But right now they are back here, they're, they're on, right there where red turns to green. Okay? They've been in Jericho and they're leaving Jericho. Okay? And they're headed to Jerusalem, and they're entering the final week of Jesus' life prior to his crucifixion. It is the literal march to the cross. And their path has taken them across the Jordan into Jericho. Now, Matthew doesn't spend any time talking about what, if anything, happened at Jericho. But there is some description of the time in Jericho, in Luke's gospel, and what happened in Jericho centers around a wee little man. You all know who I'm talking about? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he... That's what happened in Jericho while they were there, by the way. So we've sung about it since we were, we little folk, right? And that's what happened in Jericho. This guy named Zacchaeus, who was short, he was a tax collector, and he had climbed a tree to try to sneak a peek at Jesus. And Jesus came up to the tree where Zacchaeus was. He stopped there, and he called Zacchaeus out of that tree, and he said, I'm going to spend today at your house. Okay, again, this is in Jordan. I mean, I'm sorry, in Jericho. So, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and while he's there, people are grumbling and complaining that Jesus had decided to be the guest of a man who was a sinner, a tax collector. Remember, they hated tax collectors. And I'm amazed that Matthew didn't include this in his account. But he didn't. I don't know why. So then Jesus spends the day there. And and then, at the end of, uh, end of that passage, Zacchaeus makes the decision and the proclamation that he would give half of his goods to the poor. And if he had defrauded anyone of anything, he would restore to them fourfold what he had taken from them. And then verses 9 and 10 of Luke 19 give us the end of that account. Listen, I don't have it up here. I forgot to put it in there. Sorry. No, no, I got it. And Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now note that. People were mad that Jesus would even spend time with this sinner, this tax collector whom they despised. But Jesus speaks of salvation. Jesus speaks of Zacchaeus being a son of Abraham and of Jesus' own mission to do what? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now remember, Jesus is on His journey to Jerusalem where He would be killed within a week and He stops before He does that and He eats at a sinner's house. He sees this man converted and then He reminds everyone around Him that His mission as the Son of Man is to seek and to save the lost. And He knows that this last walk into the holy city would lead him to the cross where he would purchase men's salvation with his very own blood, paying the penalty for Zacchaeus' sins, paying the penalty for my sins, for your sins. And I just love to see Jesus' concern for the one. And over and over we've seen that concern for the one, the few, the despised, the rejected, the sick, the poor. Because I think it really shows us our true state, right? Right? We're the blind, the poor, the rejected, the despised, the dead, literally. And Jesus has concern for people like that. And our sins have made us people like that. And Jesus says that He had come to seek and to save people just like that. A person like Zacchaeus. And that's shown both in Jericho with Zacchaeus and it will be shown in today's account as well. But for this verse that we just looked at in Matthew... Jesus leaves Jericho, that city on the plain before the ascent up the hill to Jerusalem. And as they went out of Jericho, what was going on? Well, pretty much what went on every time Jesus went somewhere. It says a great crowd followed Him. Here, In the last days of his life, after three plus years of public ministry, people knew Jesus of Nazareth. They knew who he was. They knew what he was capable of. And they just thronged around him to get a glance, a touch. Again, Zacchaeus climbing a tree. I just want to see him. And Jesus has got this great crowd around Him. They're hoping that He might maybe do something that would please or amaze them. Maybe He would touch them and bless them. And this particular great crowd that we see in verse 29 would probably be greater than normal. Because what's about to take place in Jerusalem? Passover is coming. And every Jew all throughout the land of Israel and beyond would go to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So this great crowd was probably made up of more than just local people who came to see Jesus. It was probably made up of pilgrims who were making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. So they say that the city of Jerusalem would swell to over twice its size during the week of Passover because so many people came in there. So imagine the great crowd that was always around Jesus. Remember, he fed 20,000 at one point. Now imagine that crowd, but bigger because all these pilgrims are headed up to Jerusalem and they're, they're just thronging, they're just flocking around Jesus. So this crowd would surely have been very great. Greater, bigger than normal. And there were surely in that crowd those like the twelve who had been with Jesus all this time, marveling at Him, loving Him, serving Him, being served by Him. And I remember last week in the passage we looked at Jesus said He hadn't come to be served, but to be served. And to give his life as a ransom for many, which is what he was about to do in just a few short days. So there's lots going on. I want you to get a picture of gigantic crowd, hubbub, pushing, shoving, yelling. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, everywhere. Jesus, Jesus, and Nazareth, Jesus, Jesus. And you're just walking, just walking, just walking. The hubbub, the crush, the crowd, the busyness, the expectation, the adrenaline even. It's kind of like a drumbeat. It's intensifying increasing, volume and resonance rising in anticipation before the triumphal entry. And you expect the crescendo, the fever pitch. And what we get instead is verse 30. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. Now just picture this great crowd Walking with Jesus, thousands and thousands of people probably. We don't know how many people involved, but we knew. Matthew had described it as a great crowd. We knew that this crowd was swollen because of the Passover coming up. So it was a a giant crowd for sure. And as this great crowd passed by, Matthew, in typical Matthew fashion, says, And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. Now remember behold is a call to pay special attention. And it's kind of a call to stop what you're doing and focus on this. And focus on what? Focus on the fact that there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. Now, how many blind men do you think they passed as they walked from Jericho up to Jerusalem? A bunch. Blindness was common in this time. People would get sick. They'd get high fevers. They'd They'd lose their sight because of that. They might have been born blind. There's a lot of different ways that people became blind. We don't see it as much today because we got drugs that treat it. And we've got uh, treatment plans that cut it off before it happens. But it was very common and pe- blind men would sit along the side of the road asking for money, asking for help, asking for blessing. But Matthew says, And behold! Get your eyes off of the great crowd, get your eyes off the masses, and behold, focus on, pay attention to, two blind men sitting by the roadside. Zoom in and feast your eyes on two blind beggars sitting on the side of the road. You're like, what? Why? I mean, blind men sit along the side of the road all the time in the first century, right? They were more of a nuisance than anything else. Everywhere I go, there's blind guys asking me for money. Panhandling, begging, wandering into the way. Get out of the way, guy. Oh, I can't see. Sorry. Okay, get out of the way. And they proved to be more of an obstacle than anything else. Why, Matthew? Why would I behold these two blind men? Can't we just jump to the good stuff in Jerusalem where things are about to get spicy and interesting? I mean, this is just mundane, roll your eyes at stuff, not beholding stuff. Well, maybe there's something special about these two guys. Maybe they're going to contribute something special to the pre-Holy Week buzz or something. Let's see. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. Not much interesting there, right? Matthew just tells us that these two, like so many, hear that it's Jesus that's passing by. And when they hear that it's Jesus, they cry out for Him to help them. No big deal, right? How many other people do you think were crying out for Jesus to help them? These are just beggars asking for help. Dime does nothing to see here. There's nothing beholdable here, right? Don't be so hasty. Look at how they addressed Jesus. They cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, Lord can just mean sir, or it can be a title for God himself. And we don't know how they're using it exactly. But they do call Him Lord. So that's a good start. People have called Him good teacher. People have called Him prophet. They've called Him different things. And these two guys call Him Lord. So that's a good start. And then these two blind and helpless beggars hear that it's Jesus passing by. So they cry out for His attention by calling Him Lord. Again, good start. And then they cry out for Him to have mercy on us. Again, nothing different or special here. Lots of people asked Jesus for mercy or help or whatever it was that they wanted. But the word mercy is worth stopping and looking at. L A A O, L A A O. That's just fun to say. Sounds like I'm a sheep. L A A O, L A A O. Okay? And it means to have mercy on, to obtain mercy, show mercy, have compassion, have pity on, to have mercy on, to help one afflicted or seeking aid. To help the afflicted, to bring help to the wretched, to experience mercy. Now there's a lot there. Calling out for mercy is these two guys asking for pity, for compassion, for relief from their affliction. Help in their wretched state. And that could mean a lot of different things to these two. I mean, just... Poor blind guys, right? It could mean maybe they're asking for a coin. That would give me some relief. Maybe some food, hadn't eaten in a while. Maybe some physical help to navigate this big giant crowd and have mercy on us. Crowd, what's going on? Or it could be something more because look, they addressed their petition for mercy to whom? Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now that changes things. Lord could merely be a polite recognition of somebody's kindness, or it could be a recognition of divinity. But this in clause here tips their hand pretty clearly. They called Jesus the son of David. Now Jesus had called Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. That referred to a Jewish person, one descended from Abraham. But son of David means more than someone in David's line. It was a title for the Messiah. Matthew had literally begun this gospel in which he is laboring to show the kingship or the Messiahship of Jesus this way. Matthew one, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew clearly showed Jesus' genealogy as going through Abraham and David's line to show both his Jewishness and His rightful claim to the forever throne promised to David by God Himself. It was Matthew's first effort back there in 1-1 to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. Now, when Jesus makes His triumphal entry into Jerusalem in the next chapter, the crowds are going to be calling out, when they went before Him, that followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest! Which was a messianic proclamation... Okay, that's what they're doing. They're crying out, Blessed be the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. Save us now, Son of David. And that will be their way of saying that they believe that Jesus is the rightful King of Israel coming to deliver them now. Hosanna has the now effect there. Deliver them now out of their affliction. Now they will proclaim Jesus as Messiah, although they will miss Him and His true mission. But these two blind guys, meanwhile back here today, who are asking for mercy, they cry out to Jesus as the Son of David, which means the Messiah, who has healing in His wings. We had looked at a few weeks ago. They call out to a man whom they believe can restore sight to the blind. First of all, they've heard that He's done it many times. And second of all, they know that the Messiah can do stuff like that. So they're announcing their faith in Jesus as the one sent from God who can help them in their suffering. So, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And it means a lot for them to call out to Him in this way. Not everybody sees it that way, though. Verse 31. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. This great religious swelling crowd ain't got no time for a couple of blind beggars. So the crowd, the throng, the pious Jews headed to worship God rebukes the two blind men. Now think about that for a second. We've seen similar scenes with disciples rebuking children, crowds fussing about Jesus hanging with sinners, and here we see the religious crowd rebuking these two pitiable blind men. It says that they rebuked them, telling them to be silent. Now imagine us gathered as a church, and a couple of blind guys are sitting outside, and our windows are open, and they're yelling and they're asking for help. And we turn and say, Shut up! We are trying to worship God in here. What's wrong with you? That's the kind of thing that I see going on here, but on a much larger scale. This big old crowd headed up to the holy city to offer lambs in remembrance of God's deliverance of them as a nation, to have a lamb slain in their place, walking literally with the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Tell these suffering men to be quiet. You are getting on our nerves. We've not got time for petty annoyances like you. We're on a mission from God. Like the Blues Brothers, right? But, behold, Matthew had said, these two blind men. And here he records this, but they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They don't change the content of their pleas, just the intensity of them. They cried out all the more. So in the Greek, cried out is one word, krodzo, and all the more is one word, megas. They, megas, kratos. Oh no, you ain't gonna shut us up, thousands of pious religious people. You ain't gonna shut us up. We're just gonna raise our voices all the more. Megas. We're gonna megas yell out, y'all. Megas. Oh yeah, we're gonna get louder. They cried out before, but now they, megas, cried out to a greater degree, even more. They will not be shut up. They will not be silenced. They believe, and get, get a hold of this, they believe that this is a chance to be helped. They believe that this man walking by can help them in a way nobody else ever could. And even a great crowd of thousands of people will not drown out their cries for mercy. Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David! So now it's a shouting contest. Shut up, Lord! Shut up, Lord! Who will be hurt? Well, verse 32 tells us who's hurt. And stopping. Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you. Everybody's yelling, shut up, you lousy bums. The blind men get louder and more forceful. And Jesus does what? He stops. And stopping. Get that picture in your head. Jesus is making the trip from Jericho to Jerusalem He's got a great crowd of religious Jews around him. He's locked in. Luke would say his jaw was set, his face was set toward Jerusalem, his purpose determined. He's walking to the place where he will lay down his life and stopping. Now, can you see the crowd around him? Because they're going to match his flow, kind of, right? They're walking along with him, hushing the blind men, and they suddenly realize, hey, wait, 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 stop! Jesus isn't walking anymore. He stopped. Well, what did he stopped for? Is he tying his sandal? And they look around trying to figure out who stopped him. What stopped him? And as they are wondering, Jesus stopped, does something unexpected. Well, at least to the crowd. And stopping, Jesus called them. Called who? The crowd? Nope. He calls the two blind beggars. Don't miss this. He called them. He summoned them. Mark, in his account, makes it clear that Jesus sent someone to fetch them. So Jesus, in this throng, stops what He's doing. He hears their cries for mercy. Crowd saying, shut up, they're crying out all the more. And Jesus stops and He looks at somebody and He says, Go get those guys and bring them to Me. He hears them, He stops And he sends for them. He called them. And they come up to him and he asks them, What do you want me to do for you? Now again, imagine this scene. These two blind, hopeless, hapless beggars cry out for the Messiah to help them. They're being told to shut up. They're crying out all the more. And amazingly, he stops. And he sends someone over to them Who brings them to him? These two nobodies, less than nobodies, they're negatives in the culture. They're not zero, they're negative four, negative five in the standing of things. And Jesus says, I want those two men over there brought to me. Clear a path for them, get out of their way. I want to see them, I want to talk to them. And he has them brought to him. And then he has the audacity, the love to look them in the eyes, even though they can't tell that. And he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? You're making all this commotion. You obviously want my attention. So tell me, what is it that you want me to do for you? He kicks the door wide open. The Messiah himself asking for their request. And so they're like, okay. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. I mean, that's a pretty easy thing to list as a want, right? Right? I mean, if you're blind, it'd be great to be able to see, right? But really, who has the audacity to ask for something like that? I say, I mean, say they were standing still and calling for a couple of blind guys and asking what they wanted me to do for them. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't look at me and say, hey, help me to be able to see. I'd be like, sorry, cuz, I got nothing for you. All right, how about a pizza then? Okay, I can do that, I can do that. 20 bucks right into town? Yeah, I can do that kind of stuff. So two blind guys that hail me down are not going to ask me to help them to see, I don't think. Why? Because I'm not Jesus. And as such, I can't make blind people see. But this is Jesus. And he can make blind eyes see. So they, obviously with some faith in who Jesus is and what he's able to do, they, calling him Lord again, ask that he would let their eyes be opened. And it surely is a gigantic statement of faith. They probably have heard about him doing this sort of thing before and you can imagine how badly you would want this to be you and what you would want... If you were blind and brought to Jesus, the one who was able to do it, hey, since we're here, doggone it, open my eyes. Because you can. How many blind folk in Palestine at this time do you think sat around and talked about how awesome it would be if that Jesus guy would come to me and open my blinded eyes? I've heard stories about this guy. He's going around. It says that they've, he's, he's made blind people be able to see. He's raised people from the dead. Man, how awesome would it be if he came by here and he opened our eyes? Wouldn't that be awesome? Dude, that would be awesome. Hey, there he is. What? Yeah, that's Jesus. He's headed up to Jerusalem. Lord, Lord, whoa, 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 whoa. It's Him. And He's called for them. And He's asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And maybe they'd sit there for a long time, thought about it, dreamed about it, longed for it. And now, here He is. And He calls for them and asks them what they want Him to do for them. And they, in faith that He can, they ask Him to let their eyes be opened. What nerve. What faith. Can you can you feel the anticipation, the hope, the breathless anticipation? Can you imagine being a blind person who really is about to be able to see? I can't because I've never been blind. Well, there was that one football game where I got hit real hard and I couldn't see for like three seconds, but that's... A different story. These guys are on the precipice, on the cusp of about to be being able to see. I don't know if they were born blind. I don't know if they got blind at some point. I don't know if they've ever seen before. But they're about to be able to see. So stop here a second. Think about that. What do you want me to do for you? Lord... Open our eyes so that we can see. And that's about to happen. Verse 34. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. My goodness, this verse. These two blind guys have the faith to believe that the Messiah is right in front of them and note they can't see Him and they ask Him to let their eyes be opened. And Jesus, it says, in pity, touched their eyes. Again, don't zoom through this too fast. Jesus had stopped. He had called to them. He had asked them what they wanted Him to do for them. And now, after hearing them, ask Him to let their eyes be open, It says that Jesus pities them. Oh, this word. He pitied them. We kind of bristle at that word, don't we? We're so proud, so self-reliant, so afraid even of being pitied that we shy away from that word. I don't want your pity. They wanted it and they got it. We shouldn't shy away from that word. These men are helpless to do anything themselves that would lead them to being able to see. So they ask Jesus to do it for them and he pities them. Now this word pity is one of them 50 cent Greek words. Splangnizomai. I don't know. Splangnizomai. That's a tough one, y'all. I ain't Greek. I don't even like gyros. But 12 times in the New Testament, and it means to have compassion. To be moved with compassion. To be moved as to one's bowels. Hence to be moved with compassion. To have compassion. For the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. Now, now, Now wait just a second. Now note that. Jesus. God in the flesh. The Messiah. The Son of God. The Son of David. In his pity. Was moved with compassion. Feeling it. In the very depths of his being. He didn't just kind of roll his eyes. Okay, what do you want? Let's get this over with. I got stuff to do, places to go and such. No, he hears them, he stops, he sees them, he calls for them, he listens to them and he is affected by their plight feeling pity for them, being moved with compassion, hearing them ask Him to make it to where they can see. And Jesus, in pity, moved with compassion, touched their eyes. Now, I don't know the logistics here. I don't know if He took two hands and put it on one man, and then two hands and put it on one man, one hand and put it on... I don't don't know. But regardless, Jesus touched their eyes. He has healed in a lot of different ways in his ministry years and could have done whatever he wanted to do. And he chose, in pity, moved with compassion, to reach out and touch their blinded eyes. The hands of the Son of God. The hands of the Son of Man, the Son of David, touched their defective, malfunctioning, non-functioning eyes. The whole... W-H-O-L-E, touching the fallen. The perfect, touching the disabled. And Matthew says that immediately they recovered their sight. Now, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but let's just linger here for a second. Stop and think about this. A single moment where four blinded eyes are touched and immediately they can see. They're able to see. They have gone from darkness to light. They have gone from inability to ability. Their eyes have moved from dead to alive. Just like that. With a touch of the hand of Jesus of Nazareth. Now what must that have been like for them? What must that have been like for Jesus who had been moved with compassion and all of a sudden He sees them seeing? What was it like for the crowd? Well, shoot, maybe we should have stopped. What was it like for the forces of darkness that knew this man was marching into Jerusalem to lay his life down? To watch him display his power in a simple act again. What are we going to do with this guy? You ain't going to do nothing with him. What must it have been like? So much happened in one quick moment. A drastic change and a living hope in the blink of an eye. Jesus changes things, people. What situation are you in right now? Jesus changes things. Well, he's not changing things right now. He is there. He is willing. He is able. And it's not up to how much faith can you muster up. It's up to His timing. It's up to His ability, which is infinite. Jesus changes things. And if He doesn't change the thing, He changes us in the midst of the thing. Immediately, they recovered their sight. This is the very God of very God. God. Jesus makes old things new, broken things operational, lifeless things alive. And when moved with compassion, He acts and makes things happen. And the results are powerful and tangible. Jesus makes a difference. Immediately they recovered their sight. And then what? Well, they were beggars on the street, which makes me wonder if they even had a home to go back to. But it doesn't matter because once Jesus touched them and they could see, they had a new path to follow now. They recovered their sight and they followed Him. Well, sure they did. (laughs) They joined the crowd that was rambling toward Jerusalem. I'm fairly confident that they didn't know that they were following Jesus to His death. But they followed Him nonetheless. It just makes sense. Where else would they go? Who else would they have wanted to be with? He had touched them. He had healed them. And they wanted to be with Him. And as they walked up the road looking at him, he's who I want to be with. Who? That guy there. He touched my eyes and opened them. I was blind 10 minutes ago. I just want to be with him. It's Jesus. He's the son of David, he's the Messiah. We're going to follow him now wherever he goes. Oh, he's going to Jerusalem? Cool, we'll go to Jerusalem. No, we've never been there, but if that's where He's going, that's where we're going. Why? Well, because He's Jesus and He opened our blinded eyes and we just want to be with Him. We just want to be around Him because we're thankful. And in awe of this, guy. He is where we want to be. Which is what? That's worship, right? He's blessed me. He's revealed himself to me. And since he is who he is, and since he does what he does, I just want to be around him. I just want to set my eyes on him, watching him, listening to him, following him, praising him. How many people do you think they told on this trip that Jesus had opened their blinded eyes? Everybody's like, shut up about it already. I can't. I couldn't see an hour ago, and I can see now. I know you've told us 20 times. Isn't it amazing? You think they got tired of talking about it? I doubt it. Not only was it a miracle, it was their miracle. It happened to them. It happened for them. They could see now and they couldn't before. And how long do you think they were just in awe of seeing things, period? Oh, those are trees? Those are awesome. People. I love looking at people. Those are clouds. I love clouds. Lizards? Awesome. Awesome. Sunsets, little kids, animals, rainbows, wonder of wonders. I can see it. And they could see him. So yeah, I guess they did follow him. Now let me ask you a question before we move into application this morning. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind. But now I see. Are you bored with that? Oh, yeah, I got saved with a little. <clears throat> what time's the game on? Oh, yeah, I've been saved my whole life. We went to church, yeah, yeah. So Jesus saved you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's for lunch? Now, I'm not saying that we should always just be talking about the moment that Jesus saved us. But ask yourself, really, honestly, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Have you gotten tired of that? Is it just commonplace to you? I hope not. I go through stages and phases like that. We're going to fight that this morning with our application points. We're going to do a few different things, hopefully, in our application points. Three P's. Pause, that's P A U S E, not like animal pause. Pause, like stop. Pity, P I T Y. And power. Pause, pity, power. Pause, pity, power. Application point number one pause. What's the application for us from this passage centered around the word pause? What should we do differently? A couple of things, I think. <clears throat> we saw Jesus today in the crush of the crowd, in the midst of the noise and clamor, stop dead in His tracks to shift His attention to two hapless beggars who were calling out to Him and who were being told to be quiet. He literally stopped to purposefully engage and bless them. Now let me ask you, how many times do you think you should have stopped in your busy day in your routine, at an inconvenient time, to purposefully bless somebody else. We see it in Jesus' life over and over and over and over. We mentioned Zacchaeus at the start of this message. Jesus called him out of the tree (laughs) as the crowd went by and said that he was going to spend the day at Zacchaeus' house. Now that's a bit of a detour, especially in the eyes of the crowd who saw Zacchaeus as a menace not as a potential blessing receiver. And the text there was clear that that time sealed Zacchaeus's eternal destiny, literally. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And if Jesus hadn't stopped, salvation would not have come to that house that day. We need eyes to see that type of deal in our day and time. Our stopping... Our pausing to give attention to someone can have eternal consequences. So much of our lives is spent rushing and running, getting from point A to point B in as hurried and as as a stressed state as we could possibly be in. But the peace of God, the grace of God, is more often than not seen and experienced when we slow down and we make a decision to stop To be still and know that He is God. So there's the second part of that. We need to stop and bless other people. And we need to stop. We need to pause and just think about God from time to time. Just remember who He is and what He's done for us. And our ability to serve others, our chances to, bless and encourage, our chances to bless and encourage others is going to be in the same purposeful times. Those times when we pause. And I'm not just focused on my calendar, my watch, my next appointment, the next thing I've got to do. But I stop. God, what is going on around me? Who are you in this moment? Who do you want to reach out to? I ain't got time for that. Make time for that. In Isaiah 30.15, God chides the nation of Israel for a very similar thing. Now get what's going on here. They're under attack. A foreign army is attacking them. It's time to do some stuff, right? What does God say? For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. They're being attacked. I don't know what all is being hurled at them, shot at them, yelled at them. And God's saying, stop. Stop your evacuation. Even for this moment, stop your fighting. Quietness. Trust. That's where your strength will be found. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. We do not believe that. By and large. We think we got to do more, try harder, make more things happen, memorize more verses, evangelize, testify to more people, read our Bibles more, pray a little bit more. That's not what this is about. It's just stopping. God, I remember you saving me. What would you do in this moment for somebody around me? In quietness and in trust. When Moses and the nation of Israel came to the Red Sea in a panic, not knowing what to do, what was Moses' word to this nation on the run? And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent." we're going to make our lives better, we've got to try harder, we've got to climb the ladder, we've got to step on people. And God says, no, remember me, reflect on me, remember what I've done for you, and share that grace with other people. Because when we stop, when we pause, we start to see needs around us. And our pausing should lead us to our second point, which is pity. Pity. And stopping, Jesus called them. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. When's the last time you had pity on another human being? Not in a proud, arrogant way. But you genuinely cared so much about them that you were moved with compassion to do something to help alleviate their suffering. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. He'll stop a crowd of thousands... And have pity on two poor blind men. You know who should be the most pitying people in the world? It's the church. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Let me tell you about that. I can see your plight, I can see that you're suffering. Let me love you. Let me pour my life out for you. Let me lay my life down for you. Let me help you. I want to help you because I love you and I see that you're suffering. Of all the people in the world, it should be us, the church, who are being moved with compassion to help people in their suffering. Colossians 3, 12-14. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Is your heart compassionate? Or are you a shoulder shrugger? Oh well, nothing I can do about it. Hate your luck. I'm busy, got stuff to do. I'd I'd help you, but I I don't have time. I'm busy, busy, dreadfully busy. Anybody? Much, much too busy for you. That can't be us, church. And I'm speaking to myself. That can't be us. We have got to have, we have got to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. We've got to do that. That's a command of the Scripture. So when we have to do something that God's told us to do, what do we do? We go to God and we say, please help me here. I'm not very compassionate. Some people are like, well, I'm just not a compassionate person. Good. That means that you know you've got to go to God and ask Him to do what you can't do. Well, I just don't care about people. Good, because God does, and He can do in and through you what you can't do yourself in the power of the Holy Spirit. I saw this little kitten this morning. I don't like cats, and it was limping, and I'm like, "Oh, like what is wrong with me? What's going on? All this compassion stuff. I gotta ugh. yeah." Philippians two, one through four. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's pity. Do you pity people? You should. And you should compassionately work to alleviate their suffering if you can. I'm not saying you got to stop every time you see somebody on the side of the road. I'm going to be honest, it gets on my nerves. And maybe sometimes I do need to stop. And just say, how can I bless this person? How can I bless anybody? Here's the deal, okay? It's not about the money. It's not about the food. Those are not bad things. Those are not wrong things to help people with. But as the church of Jesus Christ, as we pause and as we have and show pity, we want to work in the power of God. Which is our third application point power. Jesus displayed His power by placing His hands on the blind eyes of two beggars today and when He did, they received their sight. Now that's power. Listen. We are called to show the very power of God. The same power that opened those blinded eyes. We're, We're called to show that power of God in our lives in how we care for others. In how we love and serve when we pause and pity. The primary way we do this is how? It's by sharing the gospel. We literally, when we share the gospel, see chains fall off. We see blinded eyes open. We see dead men raised to life. When we preach the gospel and people are born again. And there is no other way that people will be born again. There is no other way that you can alleviate the true suffering of anyone outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put clothes on their back. Put food in their stomachs. That's wonderful. That's great. And if you march them to hell with a full stomach and a warm torso, you've not done what you're supposed to do as a Christian. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's not enough. We're not going to solve the problems of the world by feeding and clothing people. Only. We solve the problems of the world through the power of God which is found in the gospel. That's power. Romans 1, 16-17 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, stop a second. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God. You want to see the power of God displayed in your life? Preach the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There is nothing more powerful in the universe than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while you're pausing and while you're pitying people, share the gospel with them. You're like, with everybody? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every opportunity you get, every time you are moved with compassion for somebody, preach the gospel to them. Tell the old, old story again. Tell them what he's done for you. Yes, that's all right, but it's not enough. People are like, just share your testimony. No, no, no. Heavens, no. Share the gospel. Amen. If you want to share your gospel, share your testimony with the gospel included, in it, yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, Jesus just saved me, and I was, I, was, I was in a bad shape, but he really helped me. That's not going to save anybody. But when you tell the truth, Of the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the glorification of Jesus Christ, man, it unleashes the very power of God, the same power that opened up blinded eyes. We are to be gospeling people. If you're going to fight with somebody on Facebook, go ahead and share the gospel with them. Might as well. Last passage, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. It may seem foolish. It may seem stupid. It may not make sense. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Listen to me, church. If you are saved this morning, He stopped for you. He had pity on you. And He displayed His gospel-based power in your deadness, in your sins, and He saved you. If you're here today or you're watching out there in internet land, if you don't know what it means to be saved, you are a sinner. So am I. So are we. So are all of us. You are dead in your sins and transgressions, and you have to be given new life. You have to be born again, and that only happens because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done in his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and being seated at the right hand of God. And if you will place your faith in him and what he has done, he's going to stop, he's going to pause. He's going to show you pity, and He is going to pour the full vent of His power out into your life and resurrect you from the dead. That's what it means to be saved. It's not trying harder to do better. It's not cleaning yourself up so that you can get to church. It's coming to God and saying, Lord, let my eyes be opened, and He'll touch you. And call you into newness of life. Your eyes will be open and you will see him as you should. And you will spend the rest of your days following him. Because he touched you. Let's pray. Father may we be those who know what it means. To pause. To pity. And to experience and to share your power. If you don't do it, God, it will not be done. And you have chosen to include us in your working. How will they hear without a preacher? And we are all preachers of this gospel with which you have saved us, showing the very power of God in our lives. Holy Spirit, in your omnipotence, save souls now. Call dead men to life. Let those who are lost be found. Let those who are blind see to the praise of your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would we'll you stand and receive a benediction? Please remember, not here next week. Alpine, 11 o'clock. If you're going to congregate, hang out and talk, please do so outside. And now our benediction. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Sign the...